0: Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen, Halloween edition. This is the third time we've done this. I'm Sarah Blackhurst.
2: I am Brian McCain. And
3: I'm Mike Espinosa.
1: For the purpose of this special episode, um, it's Brian Dastardly McCain. So some of you who know me fairly well know my favorite question is what good stories do you have for me? So, I asked Micah and Brian to tell us some good stories for this Halloween edition. It's going to be fun. So I'm going to start with Micah. Micah, what good stories do you have for me? Now, wait, let me say that the story I've asked him to tell is a little bit personal. Somewhat personal? Vaguely personal. Vaguely personal. Well, personal
3: connection, because yes. everyone wants to know you know, what famous people they're related to, what kings <laughs> or queens they have in their family tree. Um, I have Colorado's first serial killers in mind. <laughs> so every single time I go to the San Luis Valley and I introduce myself as Micah Espinosa, one of the first questions I get is, are you related to the Espinosa brothers? And the answer is yes. History remembers them as the bloody Espinosa's because they are still Colorado's most prolific murderers yes. in the history of
2: the state. So, have you Brian, have you heard of the Espinosa brothers? Oh, they- a little bit. I know a little bit about them. um and then, obviously, we've talked about it, but up until recently, I did not know, like, what, who are they? Where are they at? What'd they do? Who'd they kill? <laughs> it's their reign of terror in Colorado. There,
3: yeah, there was a lot to it. Well, and what's really funny is, so I've read a ton of articles about it. So, of course, I first heard about the Espinosa Brothers in kind of like, just from my grandmother. Right. From our grandmother. Yes. And we actually, she actually told us, I think, kind of different versions of the same story. Maybe probably to protect one or the other's feelings somewhat. I don't know. We got different versions of the story.
1: Yeah. So, but you were pretty little when she was telling that story. So how, how Well, I, I think
3: when I, the first time I had her actually tell me this story, I was probably in high school.
1: Okay. So that makes sense. Um, I didn't even know about them, just kind of vaguely in passing. And then when I was going to school at Adams, it got brought up and we kind of joke around because there's two brothers and we call you the Espinosa brothers and then we were told that that wasn't appropriate to call you guys the Espinosa brothers. So then we were kind of curious as to what that meant. So there's a video. I have a video somewhere of, uh, we didn't realize or she didn't realize that she was being taped, but we set the camcorder on the table and let grandma talk about the Espinosa brothers. So it's there somewhere, but this is, but this is sort of a, from our, the family perspective and then the historical accounts, right?
3: Yeah, so I'm going to tell kind of, how about my amalgamated version of the story? Yeah,
2: and I'm, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia right now, too, so I might have some questions. Oh, okay. very good. Because, yeah, there's what's
3: really funny is the more articles you read, like none of them agree entirely on the details. Even I found out recently, even down to the names, there's some discrepancy about the, well, particularly the nephew. So, so the Espinosa brothers, there was Felipe Espinosa and Vivian Espinosa. Or the brothers so they're a few years apart and they lived uh in the San Luis Valley and and there's some discrepancy about where exactly um most of they say it's in in an area called San Rafael and so they lived there and uh their their reign of terror started in the 1860s now you have to understand in the course of a single generation these guys went from being um under Spanish sovereignty to being Mexican citizens to being American citizens going through the, from the 1840s to the 1860s. And so now the Civil War is going on. And they, so the, the version of the story we had heard, so these, so there's all these Hispanic people living in the San Luis Valley. And with westward expansion, there became more, there came more and more white people to the San Luis Valley. And the laws had changed multiple times. The tax had changed multiple times. And the Colorado Territory wouldn't even translate their the Constitution or anything into Spanish for them to understand the laws. And so, at some point, uh, U.S. soldiers showed up and basically burned down some of the houses, stole everything from these guys. The story that we had been told was that while the men were away, these guys showed up and, I mean, killed some people, raped the women, stole everything. And that's what started this rampage. So, not very long after that, Felipe decided, well... And he believed he had been visited by the Virgin Mary and was told to kill a hundred Anglos for every one of his family members that were killed. There were six of them that were killed.
1: And, um, and the Virgin Mary looked remarkably like Grandma Gold.
3: Maybe. <laughs> we'll have to post a picture somewhere of Grandma Gold. There's a very fun, yeah. an interesting picture of this woman who Sarah and I believe may have encouraged this retaliation. So, yeah, so they were going through, and they did it all through, I mean, all through the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. They went all the way to, by Fair Play, Cripple Creek, um, up by, you know, Old Carter City, you know. Leadville. Leadville, Hardscrabble, there's that whole yeah. area. Florence. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, all around Canyon City. I kind of didn't realize that until recently, how much happened right around Canyon City. And I think the other thing you guys don't get enough credit for is they were incredible shots. I read one story about when the when these Union soldiers first showed up there, or when they came back a second time, the Espinosa brothers attacked the Union soldiers with, with rifles, with pistols, and even with bows and arrows. <laughs> I don't know how they learned the skill set, but they had it.
2: I think that happened in one of the homeless encampments here in Pueblo not too long ago. <laughs>
3: with bows and arrows? Yeah, I mean, it's an effective Sword weapon. Sort of bows and arrows. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> reclaimed bows and arrows.
1: It's not funny, but it is, because yeah. the story's been so... Um, it was so pumped up in the newspapers, and um in leadville they the leadville um, newspaper loved this story
3: well Nate, i mean the, so there was i think a lot i mean there was a lot of fairly new newspapers in the state at that time, so it was a new territory, mm-hmm. and so I think they were trying to also trying to drum up sales as part of it, so the story got blown out of proportion, regardless of how you look at it so old timey clickbait old timey clickbait there the original know. clickbait.
2: So, and interesting, I'm just reading here, it was uh, Tom Tobin, who, I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Tobin. Yeah. He was a tracker here. We are a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's the one that tracked So David down, supposedly. Yeah. So,
3: what happened? So, they, I mean, this, and it only went on for a few months. The way the story goes, it, it makes it sound like it took place over the course of years. It was only a few, several months that this took place. And these guys, I mean, brutal, brutal killings. One of the first killings, they, they shot the guy, and then they split his head open with an axe. and crushed his skull with apparently like the backside of this axe and stuff. One of the killings, they supposedly like carved it cross in this guy's chest, ripped his heart out. Like they it was brutal the way they did this.
1: So here's what was interesting to me and what um, Grandma Mom brought up was that uh, and and she said it several times, that the like you said, the killings took place within a very short time frame relative but then they'd have one here, and then the next day another one would be here. I mean, not only would the Espinosa brothers ha- would have had to be incredible shots, but they w- what must have been like ride like the wind. I mean, yeah, the, it was it would have been ridiculous for them to actually
3: well, course, yeah, just the actual physical possibility of them committing all the ones they've gotten credit for. Like that's it's not possible. And some some numbers go as high as as over a hundred killings. The more accurate numbers seem to be somewhere between thirty five and thirty eight killings that like they actually could have committed. But yeah, there were several killings into it before they ever even got identified. Because there were several killings in it before they missed. Yeah. I mean they were shooting guys straight between the eyes, like in the head, back of the head. Um and they and they were pretty a lot of them were like I mean, miners' camps where like one guy was by himself at a sawmill was like the first killing. Um but yeah, so, so he believed that he needed to kill, uh, 600 Anglos. So they, they went on this mad rampage. And then eventually this guy, um, Tappan, who was sent out from Fort Garland, uh, they tracked the Espinosa brothers down. So there was Felipe's the older one, Vivian's the, the younger brother. And, um, they like, they saw their horses. They had, they had hobbled the horse. They tied up the horse's feet so they couldn't run away.
1: Yeah, tell us ta- who Tappan was.
3: He was, he was a, a Union soldier. He was, he was at Fort Garland. And, uh, so, they they, saw, they spotted the horses, so they kind of snuck down in there, and uh, Vivian came out to actually untie the horses, and that's when they shot him, and he fell down. Well, he got shot, like, in the side or something, fell down, grabbed his pistol, and then, you know, started firing back, and then someone shot him in the head or the face. They, you know, again, they kind of debated, and then Felipe ran off. And then came back. He like ran into the trees, came back out, and fired a couple times. Didn't hit anybody, and then disappeared for like a couple months after his brother died.
2: It also said that he uh, found right after that his fourteen year old nephew Jose. Yeah, to resume
3: the rampage. So they <laughs> yeah. So they went back. So so Vivian died. Um, Felipe goes into hiding for a few months. Some people thought he might have gone back to Mexico, but he he actually went back just to San Luis Valley. And he was actually hiding with his family and friends, and kind of moving around with them. And then, yeah, they went and got his nephew, who was, and again, some, some reports say 14, 17, 16, but teenager, grabbed him. A kid. Start, yeah. Well, and actually, I guess I should back up. When Tappen, uh, when they killed, uh, Vivian, they actually cut off his head and took it back to, uh, to Fort Garland. And I read a report that, um, there was actually a, a widely known doctor who kept the bleached skull on his desk for years. So then they, so then it he goes, was a different time. Yeah. So then he goes back and gets his brother. Oh, we'll get to that here in a sec, too. This oh, yeah. is where it kind of gets really funny. Funny. That's not the right word. Um, so they go on another kind of killing spree. Eventually, they sent Tobin out. And there's reports that Tobin actually would have known the Espinosa brothers very well intimately. Yeah. He would have known them very well. To where he would have known where they would have gone, known who would have been helping them, and
1: And it's interesting to note that Tobin was married to one of Kit Carson's daughters.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's like a famous tracker Mm -hmm. bounty hunter that kind of palled around here in the Pueblo area for years. Yeah, and there's some
3: great pictures of him too, where he's wearing like what we like very traditional like Native
2: American stuff with the fringe and beadwork Mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah, he was a mountain man too. That was the big thing, like um, all the kids in Pueblo back in the <clears throat> early part of the century last century you know he was like the rock star here right you want to be like him you want to be the
3: mountain man and bounty hunter and- well and he spoke spanish and stuff he would, he would have been speaking spanish with these guys and and there's even some reports that he actually um caught uh the nephew whose name is jose vicente that he caught jose first got him drunk with tequila, and got him to lead him back to the camp uh-huh. there's one of those reports out there okay. too but either way tobin found their camp um they actually he had he had a few guys with him, including a, a Mexican kid, and it's, it's interesting to note they actually through all this rampage. They actually they was all white people. They, they killed one. There's one report they killed a Mexican during the very first standoff with the soldiers. Other than that, they, they it was all all white men. Um, but yeah, so they they saw some crows circling. They actually because they had they had stopped a wagon that was being um, hauled by two oxen, and the Espinosa brothers killed one of the oxen for food. These soldiers who were, who were with uh, Tobin saw the crows circling, followed those, found him cooking, you know, cooking this meat or whatever. When Felipe stood up to stretch, Tobin shot him, and he actually fell into the fire. And then they start, and then so he, he screamed for his, for his nephew, Jose, to run. Jose starts shooting back. Felipe pulls himself out of the fire, grabs his gun, and just starts firing blindly like he couldn't see. He starts shooting back. I don't know if he hit anybody. I think he hit one person. But um, then they, they killed him. They killed they killed um, Felipe and Jose on the spot there. And then, same thing, cut their heads off, put them in a burlap sack, took them back to Fort Garland. And later, I mean, right after that, they actually put the heads of Felipe and Jose in jars, in glass jars,
2: and sent them back to Denver, sent them to the state capitol building. Which may, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense, but... Um, cause they threatened to kill the governor too, right? They threatened to kill like the they governor. They to kill 600 Anglos and then all the way up to the governor. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: so John Evans was the, was the governor at the time. Basically said, you know, give us back all of our, they, they had demanded 5,000 acres back and all their, all their property. And, uh, yeah, said, if, if you don't get it, we're going to kill the governor. So they actually sent their heads back in, in glass jars and they were housed in the capital up until the 80s. And report wow. and reportedly the Espinosa brothers. There was reports all the way up until that point that they were haunting the Capitol building. Where did they keep these heads in the Capitol? I guess so in a in a vault underground is what I've
1: heard. Well, where. we've it's, there's a basement down there. So um, I'm going to wait a little bit, but I'm really wanting to go because every time I think about this, every time I go to the Capitol, yeah, um, I'm going to see if I can get into the basement and just walk around. I'm sure that they did in the 80s. There was some um, there was some upgrades or something they did some cleaning out of things and i think that they got thrown away very unceremoniously you know yeah. somebody's down there and they're like oh there's two heads in jars here we should like just uh-huh. maybe throw those in a dumpster so that feels a little odd to me but yeah, yeah but. but yeah
3: the most prolific
2: serial killers in in colorado history yeah and just historical was it the um, what was the treaty that basically made that area of america was it the Hidalgo, Hidal- Hidalgo, Hidalgo, like Guadalupe Hidalgo. Yes, exactly. Treaty. And yeah. that's where he found like they had like a lot of the people in the valley and southern Colorado and, you know, the southern states where they were citizens of Mexico. And then all of a sudden they were citizens of the U.S. And then the U.S. was like, this is our land. Don't give it, you know. Yeah. It, it so, was kind of messed up,
3: right? Well, and then, and even at, like right after that, so yeah, that Guadalupe Hidalgo, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is what um, gave the U.S. that territory. And then they made Colorado a territory, but what they actually did, they actually moved the line when they first signed it, um, the New Mexico territory went further north than it does. Yeah. yeah. So they moved it to like the 37th parallel one so that it looked better like on a map is where the line is, but also for the population numbers. They needed those numbers yeah. to make Colorado a territory.
2: Yeah. And I'm totally butchering my history on that right now. So forgive me if I am, but I, I knew, I, I know the controversy behind it and- when it came to the land park. Yeah. Kind of was what sparked this whole thing. Yeah, I because, mean, yeah, the like I said, they started
3: out being, like, in the course of these guys' lifetime, they went from being Spaniards to Mexicans to Americans. Yeah. And so, like, the taxes changed, like, the yeah. agreements changed. They were first promised, and of course, as is uh, our oldest national tradition they were promised certain land rights that yeah. were immediately
2: like never mind JK yeah. and then they burned down their house didn't they and they would yeah and see that's how it went like the the US government was like well screw you we're gonna take this. Right. yeah and
3: well and this. and it was really interesting too because part of it I think just as some as like some of the inequities mm-hmm. of it. yeah they actually when they came through and did like like the census they also had to declare all their arms and ammunition so like, so part of those sense records, we actually know how, like, and that's the part that no one talks about in these reports. Um, Vivian had one gun and like two pounds of ammunition and Felipe didn't have, didn't declare any weapons. And then when the Union soldiers showed up to fight him, somehow they had rifles and pistols and bows and arrows to fight back with. So they lost their guns in a boating accident. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, and like, and then they also had, um, they had an 1860 and an 186 then 1860 Colt Navy revolver which had been like one of the first edition Colts ever. Yeah. Then 1860 and then 1861. So they had like the the octagonal barrel one and then yeah. the smooth bore one as well. Which like I don't know how they would have gotten those. I just don't I don't know where they would have ever gotten those. Huh. Because really those if you historically those were the first like big sale of those Colt revolvers were to the Navy mm-hmm. and then to the Texas Rangers. So they could have so they would have like probably had to kill. Like yeah. They would have pulled off a soldier is what they would have
2: done. But I don't know where they got it originally. So they didn't get it by legal means is what you're saying?
3: No. It didn't not. help their reputation <laughs> a lot, I don't think, either. Yeah.
1: Well, what was legal at that point? I mean, obviously it was fine to, you know, promise people land and steal it and then assault people and burn things and kill people as long as you were um, a, a soldier and as long as you had a gun on you, right? You yeah. could do that?
3: Well, and I mean – some of the stories that are out there like with, with this guy so when, when Vivian died Felipe ran away but there's a story that he went back so so Tappan cut off his head took it back to prove that they killed him Felipe went back buried Vivian's body but apparently went home with his dried foot as a memento
2: like a good luck foot I guess I don't run. know if he like rubbed <laughs> it for luck or what but again it was a different time <laughs> and you can't just take a picture and say, yep, I killed them, so they brought their heads back.
3: But, I mean, why would you keep the foot? Why
1: would you ah. keep, that just doesn't even make sense.
0: Like, do you so, wear it, like, as a necklace or I something? I think the <laughs> other
1: thing that's interesting, you know, you, what you mentioned in their lifetime, but these were, um, all of the all of the Hispanics in that area were Sephardic Jews. They were, they'd come hmm. from Spain and Portugal, escaping the Inquisition Right. 100, 150 years before that even. So, yeah. So, I mean, this was the culture um, of their culture and their mentality and everything was they had been, hurt, you know, harassed and persecuted for generations. And right. so they would found their place, you know, their well, sort of which, their safe place. Especially and,
3: from a like, Sephardic Jewish historical standpoint, these guys, um, they lived on the very, very edge of Spanish territory. They were, they were Spanish citizens. They had come from Spain and they, you know, as a way to escape the Inquisition, yeah, they basically renounced their Jewish heritage, became conversos, became converts to Catholicism, and they came as far away from Spain as they could and then as far to the edge of that territory as they could as well. I mean, this was the very northern end of that, that Spanish territory. So like they, and even now, I mean, we, you know, we, we grew up with some traditions in our family that, if you know what you're looking at, like there's very, there, there's Jewish customs even aren't like my grandma never once cut bread with a knife, stuff never. like that. Mm-hmm. Like
1: it was rude, it was yeah. incredibly rude. Um, so go back and tell what the connection is. I mean, besides Espinosa, mm-hmm. um, that whole connection is um, on that side. So this was the really interesting th- thing that happened. Um, I'd, uh, I'd done some research recently on that. And I kept having this feeling that there was, um, there was a matriarch. Oh no, you tell that part. Okay. So there's this matriarch. Um, and I just like all the stories and putting together what my grandmother had said and different things. Um, and so there's actually somebody in the San Luis Valley. Um, his name is Bricker. He's, um, uh, putting a film together. He's writing a film for this and, um, wants to do it, uh, Fairly soon, it's just, you know, COVID put everything behind, put production behind. But um, him and I were talking about some of that um, the cultural difference between um, incoming Anglos and the Sephardic Jews who'd been Mm -hmm. there for all these generations. Um, And I I kind of didn't think about it anymore. I just knew. And then um, our cousin was over at my auntie's house and found a picture and he sent it over to me. And there's um it w- said Grandma Gold on it. And we'll um put this on uh we'll attach this to this episode when we when we publish it. But uh Grandma Gold and it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a name, it would have been more like a title so yeah. that was written on it. And this was she was she was not fair a feature. We'll <laughs> say it that way. <laughs> um she was she was very she much was scary looking. She was scary looking. She well sure. So um so the family theory is that there were far more involved um in this in this rampage or this retaliation, um, as we sort of feel like it was um a retaliation than just um than just uh, Felipe or Vivian yeah. or Jose Vicente.
2: So there was a ringleader, there was somebody from up top, a grandma taking care of this and giving the orders. Yeah, talking yeah, talking That's all this through with with yeah. like this filmmaker
3: and then just understanding kind of the culture of these Sephardic Jews, um, our own family dynamic. Like, yeah, there, it, it wouldn't be a far flung theory to believe, um, that this grandma gold or someone like her. Yeah. Was, was actually probably ordered them basically
2: to, to take care of this. So, uh, have you read the book, The Vendetta of Espinoza? Um, I read a couple a of books.
1: Of um, the oh, well, the Summer of Terror, the something. Of, yeah, there's yeah. several books out there. We've read a lot of what's out there, and oh, we've read a lot of what's out there. But yeah, it looks okay. like there's a
2: new one that came out recently called The Vendetta of Felipe Espinoza um, by This sounds like a totally fake name, Adam James Jones.
3: Yeah, so I, I looked. I looked. At it, I haven't read the book. I yeah. think
2: it's like a, it's historical fiction.
3: I think it's like yeah. a dramatized version of the story. But like, that's. I mean, even telling like my version, like I said, I have no qualms about it because there's not a right version of the story. Yeah. yeah.
2: Sometimes the to ignore the facts to get the story out the true event. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I was curious too because the guy's like a screenwriter, so I was wondering if he's collaborating. I have no idea, but yeah, um, but they are making a movie of it. Uh, well, and, and
3: and this guy Ricker was telling us there's actually a couple, there's like a couple people that are trying to make like different groups that are trying to make this uh, movie.
2: Have they ever popped up like in a movie as a character? Like, you know?
3: No, I don't think so. Like they're like, it's a pretty forgotten part of history. Yeah. Like there's, there's some pretty extensive histories of Colorado where they're completely left out and they're barely, barely mentioned. Huh?
1: Well, it was going on during the world uh, during the Civil War, and we weren't even a country yet, much less a state. Colorado wasn't even a state; we were not a country. Um, everybody's paying attention to the Civil War. Uh, you have, even if you um, look at the popular, it was just kind of a weird thing that they were even through here because um, it's not like you stop in the San Luis Valley. This this stops on Oregon Trail or whatever. Did not not go through the San Luis Valley.
3: Yeah, and so, and just, uh, even like the way law enforcement was back then. I mean, there was, there's a story where at one point they deputized like eight or nine guys in Park County to try to go after him and stuff like that. But yeah, it wasn't like you called the cops and people were just scared to even go out. Like they didn't, there was so, even at the time, the story was so dramatized that people were like scared to leave their house. They wouldn't go anywhere without like, uh, Actually, without military protection, it was yeah. the military ran everything out here at the time.
1: So, um, where, uh, when would the Mormons have settled in the San Luis Valley? Do can you in, think? 1850 or so. So they would have already been there. Yeah, when they weren't part of that,
3: yeah, because they, they they settled in Utah in 1847. So it wasn't long after that they sent them out here. So 1850, 55 maybe. Um, and so this started happening in 1863 and 1862 and 1863 is when this happened.
1: So, creepy Colorado stories, one that hits kind of close to us. Now, Brian, what good stories do you have for me? Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian.
2: All right, try not to go over the stuff that we've talked about many times on this before, but we will talk a little bit about that too. But um, so, I was trying to think of some good Pueblo urban legends. I know we talked about the gravesite that glowed and the state hospital and the haunted cemetery and all that. Um, I think I might have briefly mentioned the, mentioned the honor farm, but I was trying to think of something back from when I was growing up that was just, like, terrifying. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, the boogeyman. Your parents tell you not to go in the park or, the, you know, this guy will get you or whatever. So in Pueblo, we had what was called the Honor Farm. And I don't want to mess this up, so let me pull this up. But um, basically, it's over by the Nature Center. If you've been to Pueblo, uh, you go to the Nature Center. It's between Pueblo Boulevard and the Nature Center. There's a trail that goes along the river. It no, It is no longer there. Like, they tore it down. Uh, they put that telescope up there.
1: Oh, the building they tore down?
2: Yeah, it, it was a weird building. It was kind of like on the the plateau right there, um, but it was kind of built into it, into, into the shell. So if you're going towards the nature center, you know where the telescope's at? There's yeah. the observatory. It's right there by the the bird sanctuary or whatever that is. Oh, yeah. um, the raptor center. Yeah, right? the raptor center. So it was kind of behind that on the other side of the hill. And let me pull this up real fast. So... So basically, the honor farm was—it it was owned by the state hospital, but at the time, I believe it was called the Pueblo Insane Asylum. Okay, so they don't—they don't call them that anymore, but. You know the state how, hospital. How did it um, get honor the farm? Yes, yeah, so oh, it's the a color. So it was the Colorado State Insane Asylum purchased a large portion of land stretched from 11th to 13th Streets near Pueblo Boulevard in 1879. The land was meant to serve as a dairy farm where patients at the asylum could live and work. The farm. The farm no longer stands, but the land is said to be inhabited. to One of Pueblo's most. Oh wait, I'm, I'm reading this totally wrong. I'm trying to read in like improv on it. <laughs> The farm... I'll just read it directly from the Pueblo Chieftain. The farm no longer stands, but the land it once inhabited is said to be one of Pueblo's most haunted spots. Urban legends state that a man sacrificed his nephew as part of a ritual on the land which in turn caused it to be haunted. An unexplained mist, voices, orbs, and other unexplained phenomenon have been reported by various southern Colorado paranormal investigations. So that's the Chieftain. That That's it. But you can't find anything on it. So they, there's like ghost hunters, ghost chasers, whatever, they, like they've done shows on it. They go and investigate it. But growing up, and my dad was a cop at the time, and he'd always tell us, like, don't go by the honor farm. But we'd go down to the nature <laughs> center. So you would walk by. So you're hiking along the river, uh, going from city park to the nature center, and there was the this weird wall, and it was very spray painted. And then, of course, being a teenager, and also my Aunts and uncles were young too. They're like, oh, they're they're. They used to practice Satan worship there. You know, they held held these rituals and they sacrificed a baby. And a man went up there and killed his son or his nephew, depending on who you, you spoke to. And then the story is, and my dad told me this, and I don't know if it was to scare me or it really happened. But he said, you know, there was a standoff with the police in the sheriff's office, and there were Satanists there, and they broke up a ritual and blah blah blah. So we'd walk by this thing. And of course it was the 80s, so it was the satanic panic of the <laughs> 70s and 80s and when you had all these rumors of cults and Satan worshipers and blah, 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 and you know. Motley Crew and that'd be a good, that'd be a good a that yeah, yeah, so <laughs> panic, that'd be a good name. We lived in the
1: Shire at that time.
2: Yeah, so Satanic Panic—that'd be a good name. <laughs> I think it, there, there's a movie called Satanic Panic. Oh, really? Panic—that's awesome. And I think there's a band. But Doesn't anyway, awesome. So <laughs> I don't so, like mean shit So what do teenagers do? Teenagers do teenage things. So they're spray painting like pentagrams and upside down crosses and like Hell, Satan, and stuff. So as a kid, you're walking by and you look up and you're like, Holy cow, that's terrifying. And then, of course, everybody's telling us, like, you know, it's uh, it's haunted, blah, blah, blah. So we go up there. And I remember going up there once with my aunt because she's like, you want to go see this? It's creepy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go see this. So we go up there. And, I mean, it, it, it was really creepy because it was a uh, a dairy. But if you've ever been to dairy, there's, like, stalls, you know, mm-hmm. where the cows stay. And then there were rooms where the patients would stay, too. All, like, Basically, high schoolers were partying up there, so it was all burnt up. But it was always, she was like, that's where they sacrificed the baby. You could still see the fire there and, like, terrified of this thing. But doing research and going back and looking at it, like, yeah, it seems like some crazy dude went up there. He probably lived there for a time in the um, state hospital or probably worked there. And he went up and supposedly killed his nephew there. And that's what caused them to just, like, shut it off. Now it's been totally raised. Like, it's no longer there. But these paranormal investigators and what have you have, like, said that they've gone up there and filmed mists and lights and orbs and all this stuff. Um, okay. Sorry about that technical difficulties. Some, so some ghost was haunting So, where's the ghost thing. haunting
1: us? So, the nephew...
2: Yeah, so, so supposedly this really happened, and it was just scary, but they say it's on it. But the place was, like, really creepy. When you got up there, it was, like, completely black, spray-painted, all this weird Motley crew pentagrams painted on it and stuff. Um, so that, that was one. But the, the, the other scary one here in Pueblo is um, just the amount of, like, and it's not even paranormal, but you have patients from the state hospital that were allowed to come out. And even to this day, there's still patients that you know may may not be a risk to themselves or others are considered that walk around, but we had a guy, and he finally passed away. but cornbread baca you guys heard of cornbread baca no so cornbread baca was this this gentleman that was at the state hospital i believe he, he the the rumors you never know what to believe he murdered millions of people or you know something bad happened but he used to come around our neighborhood and as a kid it was really weird cuz everybody was scared of him and the the urban legend was that he um you know killed his family or killed these people what was deemed insane and was living at the state hospital but it was allowed to come out and so if you even if you google it on um, the chieftain i think he passed away maybe 5 or 6 years ago um but he he's one of these urban legends that you don't know what's true what's not true but it the legend itself kind of grew into this almost mystical figure that's this serial killer that walked around Pueblo and still was murdering people, but they couldn't lock him up because he was insane. Now, as a kid hearing that, when your dad, who is a cop, says, like, stay away from that guy, he kills people, it's, like, terrifying. Um, and he he actually died in 2017. Um, he is the notorious Pueblo crime legend, cornbread pocket, dead at 84. And this is him. I don't know if you can see him. <laughs> kind of creepy. Yeah. He yeah. has the, the the glasses. He's got the crazy eyes. Um, so
1: I think I recognize him.
2: So this this guy would um, walk around my house all the time. And um, there was a few times we talked to him. He came up and talked to us. We were like playing in the front yard. And then we find out who he is. But it, it was real creepy to know. Again, it was a legend. You don't know what was true or what was not. But let's go to the chieftain to hear about mm-hmm. Mr. Baca. He was a notorious Pueblo crime figure whose half-century career in lawbreaking, coupled by the uncanny ability to skirt charges and dodge incarceration, made him the stuff of local legend. The torrid tale, however, came to an end September 27th, when at age 84, Cornbread Bocket died of natural causes in the custody of the Colorado Department of Corrections, where he was incarcerated on charges of murder, robbery, and theft. The readers of the Pueblo Chieftain, which extensively chronicled Bakken as his illegal exploits beginning in 1966, Cornbread became a near-household nickname. A devil-may-care, short-in-stature rebel who thrived on living outside of society's rules and for whom prison bars were but an inconvenient speed bump on the outlaw's highway. Bakken's press-clipping file, like his rap sheep, is as thick as thieves, and the fariest log that began with a marijuana-possession conviction of 1954— Ooh, that's really scary. And (laughs) progressed to include accounts of burglary, aggravated robbery, narcotics possession, witness tampering, assault, hit and run, illegal possession of a weapon, and first-degree murder. Baca's history, similarly, similarly, is rife with arrests, posted, bails, trials, mistrials, change of venues, guilty and not guilty, verdicts, acquittals, sentences, resentences, parole, revocations, penitentiary stretches, even an escape from prison. Not before, long before New York City crime boss, John Gotti, earned the nickname of Teflon Don, Baca's reputation of seeing nothing stick was already firmly in hand. Whether through luck, brawny legal representation, lack of witness cooperation, sympathetic testimony, and continual capacity to make bell, loopholes in the system, or any combination thereof, Baca enjoyed more than his share of life on the outside. Well, of course, something happens, and the chieftain, it blocked me, um, Anyway, loopholes in the system or any combination thereof, Bach enjoyed more than his share of life on the outside despite an obvious propensity for violence and mayhem. Elusive, how does a long-time criminal continually evade custody? Blurred the chieftain headline from April 1997, which is about when he was walking around my front yard because yes. I was in high school and the, the other kids were younger. Well, another, 1983's local corrections board, angered at release of convicted killer, so he had killed somebody by that point. Jeez. Yeah. Effectively summarize the frustration of many law enforcer and correctional officials through the years. Baca's happy-go-lucky attitude toward crime and punishment is perhaps best personified in a press clipping from July twenty-third, 1966. captioned short but sweet. Here is a big, smiling Baca, arms outstretched, jokes with the public police officers after his arrest, arrest on escape from a medium-security facility in Canyon City. <laughs> Baca told police his 16-day freedom had been short but sure sweet and that he was tired of running, notes the clipping. Patricia Hill, who recently retired after a 30-year career in Pueblo County Jail, recalled Baca as a detainee who commanded respect and demanded a spotless wing. I remember walking into the wing after I'd first started, not knowing what to expect, Hill said. and there was cornbread, mop in hand, he simply told me, Good morning. I remember that he was always cleaning that wing. And at least toward me, cornbread was always respectful. If somebody said anything disrespectful to me he gave them the stink eye and that was it so basically that goes on <laughs> basically again this is an urban legend there was the, in pueblo there was this guy that supposedly murdered a bunch of people it was terrible and he couldn't stay in jail and he was walking around neighborhoods and he would say hi we were playing outside one day and he came up and talked to his kids he's like hey what are you guys doing and then my parents saw him came out and was like what uh you know what get out of here where'd he get the name cornbread I don't know.
1: I've been wondering Maybe that this he entire likes time. Maybe he
2: likes cornbread. Maybe he had this really good say. recipe for it or something. But, but that is...
1: Did it? Oh, look at him. This is yeah, a great that's, photo. Yeah,
2: that's him right there. That's, yeah, that's his cute. Oh, there, my god. And then the article ends with um, Baca, Solis continued, always treated people fairly. Because of his reputation, people probably feared and respected him. But he didn't mess with nobody that didn't mess with him. There are certain people you shouldn't be messing with. He definitely was one of them.
1: So, this sounds like the most Pueblo one that's ever yeah, Puebloed. Yeah,
2: and there, there's a few of those. Um, but that, that one's in reality. I mean, that, that's an urban legend based off of somebody that's actually out there. Wow. Pueblo.
1: So Pueblo, that's incredible. Um, did it say that he escaped a maximum security prison in canyon city and then decided that he was just tired so he turned himself in
2: yeah it was a medium security prison which is like a prison so medium security is like the actual prison you know the um, low security is like the camp and stuff like that but medium security you're in prison maximum security is where you're locked up in a cell you know 23 hours a day did
1: it say how he escaped
2: he probably just walked off. I mean, it happens. Um, I And see, this is, again, this is where, like, the, the legend and the facts don't quite mix, but I kind of like the legend more because we always thought that he was at the state hospital, which used to be the Colorado Insane Asylum and the Donner Farm. So there was always this weird um, thing about the state hospital, and it's weird when you drive by it still to this day. And, and they're great – Like, everybody that works there is great. They do a good job of what they're doing um, and with limited resources and funding. But when you go by, um, there are people standing out there. And they're probably residents of the state hospital that are allowed to leave. So, and I don't know this for a fact or not. This could be somebody that's in there for drug and alcohol counseling maybe. You know, I'm not saying they're bad people, but... As a kid growing up, your parents say, "No, no, they, there's people in there that are insane that they can't keep locked up legally, and they allow them to leave. So you got to be careful because there's murderers and serial killers out in the community that are crazy that are just allowed to walk free. And so we always thought that was Cornbread bocket. That that's the thing is like, oh, the state hospital lets him out all the time. I think it was other stuff, but again, he did kill somebody and was just walking around like mine, you know, like nobody's business. Yeah. Like, yep." Hey, I've been in jail a lot of times. I killed somebody. Can I have a hamburger? <laughs>
1: you know. And in Pueblo, the answer is yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so there's that one, and and there's a multitude of creepy stories here. Um, the the cattle mutilations. So this is a we talked about this before. How you had Snippy the horse, which was actually really named Lucky. Um, I think it was in 1967, you know, there was this horse and I believe it was Alamosa or in the Valley that died and its lungs were removed and, you know, the standard cattle mutilation stuff. So I started reading into it more because there's actually FBI documents and ATF documents that go down this. So, um, if nobody knows, or you didn't listen to the last one where we did this, you know, cattle, cattle mutilation had been going on for a while. Um, I think since the 1600s back in England, there were accounts of it, uh, but it never really, uh, you know, there was no investigation into it. It was like, eh, somebody killed my cow or, you know, coyotes got my cow, or whatever. So this horse dies, they find it and it's mutilated, cut up and in a surgical way. So that prompted an investigation at that time in the sixties, up into the early seventies, you had New Mexico, Colorado, Illinois, I think Nebraska, we're seeing this like rash of cattle mutilations to the point where it was millions of dollars of cattle have been lost. Now, think back at this time. This is when the federal government was kind of over-regulating the cattle industry. So it was tough to be a farmer so uh, or an ag producer when it comes to cattle. Um, so some people are saying, oh, it's the farmers saying this to say that they're losing money for insurance yeah. right off. You know, that was a big one. But there was a senator at the time in Colorado that said, "This is the most important thing in Colorado that's impacting us." And New Mexico kind of said the same thing because the ranchers, it's like, "Hey, I lost a hundred head of cattle last month because they were mutilated. We find these bodies, um, no blood around them. Their soft tissues are cut out. It's like their tongue, their lungs, you know, their genitals, all this stuff." So the FBI starts to investigate, and they deem. They, to be honest, they kind of do a half-assed job on it. And one of the reasons why was the investigator didn't like to look at mutilated cattle. So he would send, like, the local experts, like, go check that out. And he, the FBI deemed, no, this was, um, it, everything could be explained. Um, it was, you know, predators. But again, at this time, there was the satanic panic of the 70s and 80s. So it started kind of going around the press that this was the job of cult members. So they thought it was satanic sacrifices. So then into the 70s and 80s, you hear stories of, um, you know, hooded figures standing in a field and then they, you know, the farmer runs to catch them and they run away and then they find a cow that's mutilated. So that's all fine. I, again, I, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of give that to just people saying things or seeing things like I might've seen like a dude out there and that turns into like, I saw three dudes out there and then yeah. like it says, who saw some real people out there doing this well when the fbi is doing this investigation the atf does an investigation and nobody really talks about this so this was out of new mexico because it was a huge problem and it was financially impacting these people you had u.s congress involved the fbi and the atf so the atf separate from the fbi started this prior to the fbi and they were finding them and 95 percent of the cattle that they were recovering that had been reported as mutilated and investigating it they said that it was all predators, right? It, it's obvious. And they even did experiments where they'd kill a cow, basically, and then drop it into a field and see what would happen, watch it for two days. And it was kind of like that. Like, it's gross, but the cow splits, the skin splits. It looks like it was sliced open. Yeah. The ants, animals, they go for the eyes, the tongue, the soft tissue first. Uh, blood, once the heart stops beating, it coagulates in the cow so nothing leaks out. So that's explainable, but... In 5% of these, the ATF found that there were tranquilizer chemicals present in them. Like, that's a fact. Like, huh. this isn't like hearsay or anything. They said in, in a small number of these mutilations, there were um, evidence of a tranquilizer being used on the mm-hmm. cow. And then they noticed over the years they're investigating it that the uh, mutilations became more precise and more skillful. So... Around this time, you have a, a doctor in Trinidad who kind of put Trinidad on the map. And I forget his name, but it, everybody knows. It's, of course, it's the sex change doctor, right? Right. And, and that itself is like a, a way different than story, different story than people think. You know, he was he he basically during the time he saw that people were going to illegal doctors to get illegal sex changes, and they were just messing it up. And what he said, no, I'm going to fix this. Like So that's why people came to Trinidad that had gone through a sex change operation and were just literally butchered. And his his thought was, I'm going to fix this for these people, and I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to offer it.
1: Well, Tony Haas told us he knew him and um, yeah. and that he gave a ton of, um, that particular doctor gave a ton of free care, and just he was anybody needed any kind of care. Yes he would provide it regardless of their ability to pay, which was amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that, that's where that came. And then, of course, Trinidad gets the whole reputation of like, oh, go to Trinidad, get a sex change. But it was so, not that.
1: So, okay, so, cattle so, mutilations so he, and... So
2: he actually, this doctor um, examined some of these cattle, and this would have been in the 80s, I believe. And he told the investigators and told people, he was like, no, this is 100% a surgical operation. This is not predators. This is not, um, we didn't say aliens. You know, it's not aliens, but somebody did this to the cow. So, okay, at this time too, so you have reports now and that a farmer sees a cattle mutilated and they see, um, there's one where it was like three glowing orbs. So then that story starts to spread and around 1984 ish, Um, there's a doctor, um, a Harvard professor type, I don't know what school, I think it was Harvard or somewhere like that, some Ivy League school that had been following this, and she said, no, this is aliens, because the reports were seeing all these lights, and at the same time, farmers and ranchers are seeing unmarked black helicopters. So then this report comes in from Nebraska, because the the farmers are pissed off that somebody's mutilating their cows, they don't care if it's coyotes, Satanists, aliens, the government, whatever, so they're starting to report black helicopters. And in the valley, they're seeing black helicopters as well that are coming down and you know they'll see one hovering, they'll go to the spot and they'll find a mutilated cow. So at this time the FBI is like, nope, it's it's all predators, whatever. So this kind of grows this distress in the government because now the rumor's going around, okay, this isn't aliens, this isn't Saintness, this is the government doing it. And there's two reasons why the government was doing it according to these people. One they wanted to see how far a cow-based um, disease is spread like anthrax. Mm-hmm. So they said the government was infecting cattle with like mad cow disease or anthrax or something like that illegally. And they were tracking it. So they were dropping down and picking up cows to track the progress of a virus that they created. Or they were trying to stop and they didn't want to get in trouble. The other one was that they were testing nuclear weapons in uh, White Sands, uh, the White Sands area, um, Los Alamos, like all those places down in, in New Mexico. And they messed up because they didn't know how far the radiation would go. So the the government and the Air Force and the Department of Energy was like, crap, we got to see how far we polluted the environments." So they yeah. were, you know, they're jumping in helicopters like, okay, go a little far north, grab some cows. Get the soft tissue as fast as you can, and we'll get out of there to see if radiation. So, during all this, then you have this paranoia that the government's like spreading diseases or the land is poisoned and they're not admitting it. It got so bad that these posses that the ag producers were forming um, started shooting at National Guard helicopters. So, all along, and this actually adds to the, the intrigue and mystery and then, like, you know, adds more to it. So in the valley, all the way up to Nebraska, to New Mexico. This is a training area for flying, for fighter jets, for helicopters. This is where they practice their maneuvers. There's also some OP-4, which is opposing force. So you might see a like Russian helicopter flying around because they're testing it and seeing how it does. So now I'm this farmer looking up and I'm seeing all these government helicopters and a Russian plane or something. So they start shooting at it. So the National Guard actually has to change the window where they fly because their helicopters are afraid are going to get shot down by farmers and ranchers. <laughs> now, during this entire time, up until like two months ago, cattle are still being mutilated. Like, it, it still happens, and it happens in specific areas. So, again, the the attitude of the government on this is that it's, Farmers and ranchers trying to claim like insurance or they lost this, right? Yeah. So they think they're going out and shooting them or letting them die and saying, like, oh, somebody mutilated my cow. Like, yeah, I need my insurance for this, um, which I don't think is actually happening. I don't.
1: Every time that there's a claim like that, there's an investigation. Yeah, so, yeah,
2: yeah. So that I doubt that's happening. Um, but the other is there was another case that was recently, and this was, and I say recent, like in the past 15 years that there were six cows, and this was, I believe, in the Trinidad area, kind of that part of the state, not in Trinidad, but somewhere around the county. Um, and then there was one in the valley, and then there was one in northern Colorado where they found these cattle, these six cattle, six different situations over about five years that were laid out, and there were tools where they were being cut open. So the farmer like heard something, saw something, you know, went out there. Somebody ran; they couldn't find him, or maybe they didn't even see him. But there was literally like a cow that was mid being mutilated and Jeez. like surgically operated on.
1: That is so bizarre. Because if you're doing that, just pick up the cow and take it with you. Like just yeah. like why yeah. just leave it out there?
2: Th- there was one Elderhood. specific. <laughs> there, There's there, a
1: hell They have a helicopter.
2: There, there was specifically one where somebody said it was in a barn and on a table oh. that they found. And that the people got out of there so fast they didn't even see him. But it was like like there were footprints and it was still warm in there. Like the cow had just been killed and started sliced open. And this is in recent times. So that adds to it. I... And then again, you know, you have all the UFO sightings and all this. People are like, you know, it's aliens in the valley. It's aliens coming down, getting their cats. It's the government. It's Satanist. Nobody, to this day, nobody knows. And in that report by the ATF, and even in the FBI one, you could get all the records of it. Like, there's legitimate, like, numbers on it saying that, hey, there's a few of these that, yeah, this wasn't a coyote. This is like something. Something's going on here. And that spans over years. And nobody's been able to solve what's actually doing this.
1: So I guess that's leads back to my question. Where are these cows at? Like, did did whoever was investigating them come and pick them up and take them away? Did they?
2: No, oh, th- they're down there. Like, the problem is, is like if you cut open a cow and take parts out of it, it's gone in two days. Like, something right. will eat it and all that, which makes it tough. Like, that's why if it's a predator – Again, if a cow's there for two days, its gonna, its tongue's going to be eaten out. It's, mm-hmm. like, its soft parts, as you would say, are gone. But now we have cases where they were up there while the cow's still, like, you know, not even been gone for, like, an hour. And there's evidence of this, too. But those, to the best of my knowledge, have not been investigated, at least not publicly. But all the other ones from the 67 all the way up into the late 80s, yeah, the, the FBI and the ATF looked at it. And, again, you could find... It's a FOIA request. Somebody released this. They're like, yeah, it was a predator. It was a coyote. Like, there's no evidence of this, blah, blah, blah. But there are some that something weird's going on where somebody or something is actually doing this. And it's not a coyote. It's not predators.
1: Okay, Brian, what do you think actually happened?
2: I think, um, if I'd have to put my money on it, I think that, okay, just like suspend disbelief and say that, um, you know like a small percentage of these somebody did something right i think the rest of it is predators and it's just the word like oh the you know it's like the chupacabra right like, yeah
1: the, the thoughts uh, yeah. crossed my mind
2: yeah but if i were and i know how the government thinks especially back then it's like oh shoot we like totally messed up right like, we might be poisoning American citizens. Let's see how bad it is without saying it. Because the second they say, you know, the Department of Energy or say the Air Force say, okay, we tested all these nuclear bombs and we actually kind of poisoned a lot of this land with radiation. Um, that's just going to open up this huge door. We saw it in, um, the, you know, the nuclear tests in where Area 51 is at, like Nellis Air Force Base, uh, where they were testing this in Las Vegas. Like they denied that for years that they yeah. were doing that. And it wasn't until recently that if you were there during the test that your wife and your family could be compensated because all these dudes that were, like, around in the service, you know, they're watching bombs explode. Like, the government never acknowledged that because it was just this huge door. that Pandora's box would be open on this. Now you do get compensated financially from the Department of Energy over a lawsuit and them opening this up. So imagine if they did that, say, they were testing these, bombs and missiles or whatever in new mexico and they're like holy cow like the air brought this up to colorado Mm -hmm. and like maybe even northern colorado or like you know the san luis valley so they're like before they say something that it's poison they're gonna say like go get some cows that are eating the grass and see how bad it is so if i put money on it i would think it's that i don't think it's like a virus they're tracking because that was another big one that it was like they're breeding anthrax and cows and taking it i um but again, like, I don't want to accuse the government of doing this. Um, but at the same time, they did some shady stuff back then, even up until not too long ago. I say aliens. Or it could be <laughs> aliens. That, that's the. Other Chupacabra.
1: Thing. Oh, yeah. No, that, actually, that makes the most sense because I'm like, why, why cows? Like, why would you mutilate a cow? Like, that doesn't seem like a fun thing to do to me.
2: Because if you want to test the. Tipping
1: them. That seems like fun.
2: Well, think right. think of this right. way. So much harder than so say, say this is like <laughs> say yeah it is. Say, say this table is no like a big swath of land that's is like a hundred miles or whatever, and you want to get soil samples secretly and like sample what's there. Or are you going to do it? A cow just like grazes here for this area forever. You go in and get a cow and see what it's been eating and if it's sick. And then you move to the next patch and see what they are. So, if you're tracking where something spread, if you dropped, say, a nuclear bomb right here, you know, let's test a cow here, let's test a cow here, let's because they drink the water, they eat the food. They can't go in and test people because the people would be like, "What the hell are you testing us for? Why? Why are you? I'm in it like Alamosa. Why are you testing?" And people
1: and people want to keep their soft tissue.
2: Yeah, that too. That I mean, there is that you don't want to (laughs) go mutilate some San Luis Valley people. With the behest of tests, but but <laughs> I, I I think that if a hundred years from now they look back and say eh, like that's probably what happened, or it's aliens. That's the other thing. Could be aliens. <laughs> I mean, supposedly there's a lot of aliens in the San Luis Valley. I think I've met a few of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have no doubt you have.
2: Just like there's demons here in Pueblo, because I met a few of them too.
1: Oh my goodness, Brian! I'm sure you have. And I live in the Shire, so I don't. I hey, that place is
2: haunted up there, too. They see all those lights and stuff. No, Rye? no, but Rye is haunted?
1: No, it's aliens. Rye, in Rye, it's aliens. Oh,
2: it's and aliens. Because okay. they, the, they always see it's, the lights out there, right? Yeah, they're no, no, the,
1: they're, they're aliens.
2: Who yeah. sees lights in Rye?
1: I've seen lights in Rye.
2: Yeah, it's a big thing. Really? Yeah. It's a big yeah. thing. Like are you sure those aren't the stars or something?
1: No. <laughs> well, I mean, I've,
2: it probably is, but um, the, do, wet, the wet mountain lights, is that what it's called? The wet mountain blue lights or whatever, yeah, and then no, there's the silver cliff lights.
1: There's, no, because they do all of those, well, they do a lot of training maneuvers over right, there, right. But there's also lights. Hmm. Is there anybody that you, there's not a single person that I know this is that
3: brand new information, man.
1: hasn't seen lights up there.
3: Yeah, that's it.
1: We've a all seen them.
2: Big deal. You have Haven't to, you? Not know, You've you never seen them when time. you were
1: camping.
2: I assume those are the stars or airplanes. I'm going to Google it.
1: Already. No, yeah. No, it's a thing. I've seen them. No, I'm, I've been I'm camp-
3: serious. I've never heard. I don't I have no idea what you're talking about, dude. Really? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: Oh, my about gosh. It. Like, go back a couple of years on Facebook where there were lights coming back from... Yeah. I've se- I saw lights not that long ago I'm like that light what is that light doing up there does it- nobody else see this light this was like a couple months ago what do you yes. think what
3: what, do you, what did you tell your brain that that was just to like reconcile what you're seeing
1: I was thinking maybe there was a helicopter hovering over there with a light on there yeah. was
3: no there was no explanation maybe Why? that's my problem I'm just I'm just boring I'm just like oh that's just a plane
2: well according to ghosts of America most of the locals in Rye, Colorado are happily unaware of the Horrible mysteries the city keeps. What? Keep going. That's all, this is all it
3: says. Oh, Dude. What are the mysteries? That's <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no,
1: there's mysteries. I think we need to get it's, really on the show. That's
2: the mystery? That's no, the mystery. Because it's like Rye. It's the wet Rye, mountain. Rye yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. wet mountain. They see the lights. And then in um, Custer County. Custer County has, I think it's the Silver Cliff lights that they see up there. And they actually studied that one because they thought it was... Um, it was like a fault, like a uh, geological yeah, fault. Yeah, I was going to say that,
1: that was a geological thing. That, that
2: somehow ignited like plasma. Um, and you have to understand, too, that in Colorado we have the Garden of the Gods. So if you look at Garden of the Gods, it's this starting around there, but it goes up the front range. It's um, these red rocks that stick out of the ground mm-hmm. and all the way up to Golden and, you know, that area by Chatfield Reservoir, by Red Rocks. Yeah. Ironically named named Red Rocks. So that's one of the oldest formation of rocks that stick out of the earth, like on the planet. And you have um, a lot of aerospace contractors up there that were going to be like missile launch sites and all this. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is there's a property to these rocks where it has quartz in it. So it blocks uh, radio signals, cell phone signals, and all that. Like, It's not on purpose or on accident that they built this stuff there because in the idea that somebody's trying to, you know, listen in or something, like, they can't because quartz has, uh, um, what do you call it, like an electromagnetic frequency in it that disrupts stuff.
1: Magnetic striations.
2: Yes, that's what it is. That's why a quartz crystal on your watch, that's why they use that. Um, And, you know, NORADs, and they're also uh, in Colorado – so the reason why all the space stuff is here is because you can have a satellite. You could basically have first line of communication to see around the world. So we're on this area that, you know, a satellite way over here on the horizon and way up over here on the horizon can almost see all the way around the world. So it's not because it's, like, you know, the most safe for a nuclear attack. It's just it makes sense when you're talking to satellites in space work in the perfect spot here in Colorado for communication.
1: Well that's why the all the alien activity here as well, because that same they're using the same stuff that our modern technology uses. They figured it out. It's in the geology of Colorado.
3: Geology is a pseudoscience anyway.
1: Oh my gosh, it is not So all these creepy Colorado things, uh, truth is stranger than fiction, all of it makes colorful, colorful Colorado. We appreciate you joining us for this special edition of Making Action Happen, the Halloween edition. Um, It's because all the creepy stuff is a little too true here um we will see you next time uh, elections are coming up really quick
2: that is scary so the scariest story we could ta- yes. talk about is uh the election coming up and what's going to happen after that
1: we don't know and we were going to try to predict but i think we gave it up
2: no we're going to do that today oh we're
1: going to do we'll it today we'll put
2: it on the show so after as soon as i we turn this off i'm going to write we're going to go up put in the envelope certain election who's going to win and then on the show we're going to Unfold it. <gasps> oh. And see who got terrifying. the closest. Yep. We won't say who picked what, though. We'll just say.
1: Yes, we will.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll see. No, because well, I not want to hurt We kind any of have feelings. to, Brian. Oh, that's no. fair. No, he's right. right. Of course he's right. No, what we'll do of is we'll just say right. who was the right. rightest and who was the wrongest. We won't say who. I'm all right. I'm going to
1: be the wrongest. Oh. That just hurt your face, didn't it? Well,. The, the no, use I'm of okay the word? That. I'm okay with that. The, like, the you know, wrongest yeah. is yeah, okay. You're the wrongest. Okay.
2: Strategery. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nonsensical. I can't
1: handle any more of this scary language. We'll see you guys next time.
0: This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Xcel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.